Hi, and welcome to EcoGal, The Curious Consumer. I'm Ashley. Today in the EcoGal studio with me is Christina Vela. Christina is a farmer, communicator, and community coordinator who believes that our connection to the soil is directly related to the health of our bodies, economy, and a society. With over a decade of experience in vegetable farming and cattle management, Christina enjoys using her skill sets to share photos, stories, and information, which helps to inspire change in human habits and mindsets, causing the food system, climate, and overall well-being of the world to improve. So welcome, Christina. Let's jump in. Thanks. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. So as a farmer, you have provided CSAs, which are community-supported agriculture, to your community. Could you define more of what that is and a little history? Yeah, sure. Thanks. So Community-supported agriculture is a way that farmers can ensure that they have not only the amount of food that they need, but also the markets that they need to consume and purchase that food. So it lets farmers know ahead of time how much food to plant, how much food that they'll need at harvest time based on how many people have already committed buying it. So usually people sign up for a CSA, um, like in the fall and the winter, and then in the spring, there is food for them. And then throughout the year, the summer and the fall, each week, usually, um, CSA members go and pick up their baskets of vegetables. And then that is their way of knowing that they have secure food, like a farmer is growing food for them and that the farmer knows I have a secure market of people who is going to buy my produce. So that's like the gist of it. But there are differences in every CSA. So some CSAs are only spring or summer or fall CSAs, whereas some CSAs are year-round. Some CSAs are just vegetable CSAs, whereas other CSAs are just meat CSAs. There are also full diet CSAs that include all. So there are a lot of different um, innovations that have happened to CSAs. But when you ask about the history of CSAs, that is like... That is the part that really starts to get me like really excited and going because the history of CSAs, um, it's so fascinating. So Temple Wilton in the New England area, Mm, that farm, that actually, they're credited with the first CSA and like with starting the CSA. And they were, it is true that they were the very first people to call it a CSA, but the idea of a subscription farm produce program was actually brought to be in the civil rights movement by Booker T. Watley, who was a professor of agriculture at um, Tuskegee in Alabama, where, you know, uh, George Washington Carver was and stuff. So it was like peak civil rights time. Black people were not getting loans. They were not able to like buy land or houses. Like, you know, it was a crisis and an issue. And Booker T. Watley was like, we need to be able to empower ourselves as black people And he suggested that farmers start doing a clientele membership program. So it was kind of like a pick your own situation where the farmer would have people sign up. People would say, I'm going to choose you to grow my food. And then the farmer would know how many people they had signed up. And then they would grow that food for them throughout the year. So it was actually a way to liberate themselves and to not have to rely on the mostly white, predominantly oppressive systems that were being created. So that's actually how CSAs came to be. Wow. Yeah. And so as time has gone on and, you know, kind of like the white supremacy system has like taken over and said that they have started CSAs. That's not actually true. 
But as the systems have changed and um, people and societies have evolved, like the CSA has become so important throughout time where, Mm. you know, grocery stores have been not buying local and instead have been shipping produce from all over the country, wherever they can get it or from all over the world where they can get it the cheapest, where they Mm. can get the best bargains and food is not local anymore. And so the CSA has really shifted to become more about being able to just buy food locally that Mm -hmm. are, that is produced under good ecological practices. Like, so back in like the eighties now, so the Booker T. Watley invented actually the subscription farming back in like the 60s. But in the around the 80s is when the very first CSA popped up in the city that's closest to us, which is Nashville. And that was actually Jeff Poppin, Barefoot Farmer. He was the one of the very first CSAs in Nashville. And back then, in that time, it was about, like, we can't get local food at grocery stores. Like, Mm. we can't find organic produce at grocery stores anymore. So that became the focus and the reason for a CSA was organic, regenerative produced, like, ecologically sound produce that is nutritious for our families. So... That was the reason. Nowadays, there are over 80 CSAs that deliver just to Nashville, and it has completely swept the country. People are so into the CSA, and that's why there's so many variations now, because as consumers, you know, we have so many options to choose from about where we're going to get our food and how we're going to get it, that the CSA Mm -hmm. has become, it means so many different things. Like, as I started off this talking about, like, there are... CSAs to fit anybody's needs for any duration amount of time. You can get half a bushel, a whole bushel, like, and like we talked about, like a full diet CSA. So it's not as much about like trying to be self-reliant or trying to fill your society's needs, or it's not as much about like, I need access to local produce, period. Now it's like a convenience factor, which is great. I think it's wonderful that CSAs have developed over time and now fit so many different needs, so many different budgets, and so many different lifestyles. That was a very long answer to your question. Sorry. <laughs> that was a great answer. Okay. Love that. Thank you. Um, okay. So, yeah, there was a lot in that. Um, so, I'm wondering how do people, like, first of all, find a CSA, right? If they mm-hmm. do want to, you know, just decide to subscribe to that. Or, mm-hmm. um, so, why don't you go ahead and answer that one? Yeah. So if you already know a farmer, I would always suggest like, if you are already friends with a farmer, always check in with them first. Like that's just good relationship building. But in general, um, there are websites that list CSAs and, um, there are local, um, magazines that do that. So here in Nashville, local table magazine has a list of all CSAs Um, I think that Edible Nashville has done that, like listed the CSAs that are possible to sign up for. And then the Nashville Farmers Market always Mm -hmm. does an annual meet and greet for their CSA, for CSAs that, um, you know, anybody who has a CSA can come to the Nashville Farmers Market that weekend and people can come and meet the farmers and choose a CSA that works for them based on um, how often it delivers or what the budget is or what it includes and all that jazz. So there are nowadays a lot of ways to find your local CSA. I mean, I have favorites, of course, but. <laughs> right. So I imagine, would that be at the end of the year? 
that they would have that meet and greet or? You know, um, that actually does happen super early in the spring. So that is still before. So the whole idea of a CSA is that a farmer knows how many seeds to order. Yeah. How much ground to get ready. And these things usually do happen in the fall and the winter. And so that is like the most ideal time to be signing up for a CSA. But the sort of life that we all lead, like people don't think about that. People do not think about next year's food this year, you know, like in other, in general populist mind, like, oh, it's starting to be spring. I should start thinking about food coming up when farmers have been thinking about the food that's going to be coming up way before then. Right, right. Because that's exactly what I did. I went, yeah, I should talk to Christina. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good. So what are some questions if people are like, okay, I'm going to go out, I'm going to look for a CSA, but like, what's going to help me determine what's the right CSA for me? Yeah, that's such a good question. That is such a good question. So proximity would be a number one. So how far is your food going to travel once it gets out of the field and to your plate and to your home, to your fridge? That should be a concern or a question is like, how far away is this farm? Another question should be, what are they offering? What is in the CSA share? So let's just pretend we're just focused on a vegetable CSA because that's like kind of the standard. So even though meat CSAs and full diet CSAs all exist, which include like dairy and eggs and all that jazz, we'll just have this conversation from a vegetable CSA standpoint. Perfect. So there are some CSAs that cater to a suburban sort of fast-paced, I work all day and don't want to cook sort of lifestyle, who Mm. those are people who want to support farms but don't actually cook every single one of their meals. So those CSAs deliver about a half a bushel each week or half a bushel every other week. A lot of people want to support farms, but they just don't cook that often. And unfortunately, a standard CSA, a lot of the food ends up going to waste. Then the person is unhappy because they feel like they wasted their money. And then, of course, you know, farmers want their food being used. So it's not a win-win. So if you're a person who does not cook all of your meals or maybe only cooks one meal a day for a week, then maybe you're more interested in a half a bushel a week sort of CSA. There's also Mm -hmm. the idea of whether you're going to be picking it up and being part of the community or whether you want it actually delivered to you. So Mm. back in like the 80s and 90s, no CSA actually delivered to people's doors. But since COVID happened, a lot of CSAs started transitioning to that. The original CSA model that swept the country, including Nashville, involved this community aspect, which was... It was like a community event each week to pick up your CSA share. There were potlucks. People would get to know each other. We would share recipes. And that was part of what you got when you became part of a CSA was not just your weekly Mm. vegetables, but also that camaraderie, that connection to other people who were also interested in knowing where their food came from. And that was such a good part of it. But the... COVID situation really shifted that to be, I still want my local food. I still need good food. I still want to make sure that my food is coming from a farmer who cares about the environment, but I need to stay home. And so a lot of farmers did switch to being able to deliver produce. And I think a lot of people have really gotten into that and like that idea. So that's another option. And then of course, there are people like me who want to cook all of their meals and also get bushels and bushels extra of vegetables to can and to freeze and to ferment. So there are only a few CSAs that offer your standard weekly produce and then also 
additional food for preserving. And so that would be like bumper crops when, when a farm does super, super well on, you know, every year is so different. Some years Mm. in Tennessee here, we have pears and some years we don't. Some years we have great apple years. Some years we don't. Some years are great for green beans. Some aren't, you know, it's so, Mm. so some CSAs offer this extra sort of caveat of if we have extra, we'll share it with you. And that is another old school CSA practice. So, so it doesn't, it's not a standard, but that is something you would want to ask if you were into joining a CSA and you knew ahead of time that you were going to want to be able to can and freeze and ferment food would Mm. be to ask, like, if you have extras on the farm, is that something that you would share with us? Because it's not the standard weekly bushel, but if they have too much on the farm to can, then maybe they would be down to share with you knowing that you might hook them up with a can later. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. And that's community. And then also, um, I, I keep thinking about flowers. I, I know we're talking about vegetables, but that's also something that, that some people do as well, right? They do yeah. f- CSAs uh, for flowers. There are a lot of great flower CSAs in and around the Nashville area. I'm sure all over the country, flower CSAs are a thing. And also, in addition to flower CSAs, I've heard of and know of medicinal plant CSAs, herb CSAs. So the model itself is taking over and like people are starting to realize the need that consumers have for these plants that they don't just have growing in their yard. So flower CSAs would be one of them. And then if you do live in the Nashville area, Green Door Gourmet has a great flower CSA. Humble Flower Farm has a great um, petal and rake. There are a lot of great flower farms around that are focusing more on the ornamental, how to make our lives beautiful and bring happiness and joy to your home without having to be a farmer and grow them yourself. That's very nice. And to shop local. Yes. (laughs) So you said pedal and... Oh, pedal and rake. And actually that is right outside of Nashville. Okay, great. I know that you're kind of out in the country and we're going in and out a little bit. So I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah. In case that kind of dipped out on the audio. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's totally good. It's just part of it. Well, okay, awesome. So then can somebody come out and visit a farm, for example? So I become a member and I want to get to know my farmer, but I, you know, maybe I've just found him online. How does that work? Yes, absolutely. Most of the time, when you become a CSA member, you are also becoming a member of the farm. Mm. So that farm becomes your farm. And to be connected to a farm, a farmer and a place, visiting it is so important. And it really helps strengthen the tie between consumer and food, consumer and land. And then also the understanding, like once people see where their food is coming from, they're more invigorated and inspired to want to continue cooking with it. So I encourage strongly everyone to go visit their farm, to see where their food is coming from and to really connect with the land that it's being grown on. Oh, I love that. I agree as well. What has this experience of farming been like for you as a farmer and how has it enriched your life as well as surprised you? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Being a farmer is the most wonderful life I can even possibly ever imagine for myself. I wouldn't want it any other way. I love milking cows every morning. I love sweating to death and almost passing out in a field of onions butternuts. And if I get to pick tomatoes every day until I die, that would be the greatest. I'm so into it. I love it so much. I would love everyone to come visit and share in the beauty and wonder. But as far as the conversation goes, (laughs) me being a farmer, 
Um, you know, I spent most of my farming career partaking in the CSA model, and I very strongly believe in it and see all of the benefits it has to offer. Because as a farmer, it is difficult knowing where all the food that you're growing is going to go. Mm-hmm. And the CSA really helps to know up front that you aren't going to have to take something that's very perishable and could go bad very soon and find a place for it. So the CSA is great. And you know, the connection to land, the connection to farmers, the connection to people that a CSA offers, there's nothing else like it. So that is all wonderful. But as we talked about, you know, the CSA really arose out of a specific need back in the 60s and 70s and then has evolved over that time. Mm -hmm. And so as people and place and grocery stores and consumerism and all those things have changed, I think that also the way that farmers are marketing and the way that farmers are reaching audiences have changed also. Mm. So just this past year, my partner and I, we have Villa Acres Farm and we sell to Nashville and the surrounding areas. And just recently, we have decided that we don't need the CSA anymore. We have been finding other creative avenues to market our produce and are still staying really connected to people. And it has been a really wonderful experience. So Over the course of the past few decades, that idea of not being or the reality of not being able to find local or fresh organic produce in grocery stores has really started to change. Hmm. And we have been finding locally owned grocery stores that are very committed to purchasing only local food and also doing it at reasonable prices while also accepting SNAP and EBT, making it accessible to all kinds of people. And that has really that direct sort of marketing that um, the farmer is able to bring food right to the store and then the store attendants to sell it, making it so that the farmer does not also have to be a salesman has been the most preferred way. Mm. I think it actually has been the most preferred way for all time past, but it just hasn't been the reality. Like grocery stores haven't been willing to do that. But as the boat has shifted as like consumerism has shifted to wanting that more that has been driving the reality of how stores are operating now. So we're finding more and more grocery stores who want our produce and more people who are shopping there who say they call us on the phone, they email us. We want to come visit and see where our farm comes from. So we're still experiencing the, the connection to people that mm. comes from a CSA while also having really great markets to sell to because the consumers have started demanding fresh and local at stores. And that is, that is working for us right now. And that's been so wonderful and great and has mm. really been a signal of a, sh- of a greater shift in, in the way that food is brought to communities and the way that communities are seeing food and how they want to be getting, receiving and producing their own food. Yeah. You said something that I, uh, I got a little bit lost on the word snap and E did you say EBT? Yeah. So snap and EBT, that is the food stamp program. So it's like the way that government helps subsidize families that can't afford to feed their, um, them and their children. And I, as a farmer, cannot just accept SNAP and EBT. But when I bring my food to 
a grocery store of some mm-hmm. kind that already is accepting that, then that yeah. automatically makes my organic local food accessible to people who would not have normally been able to get it on just a Saturday morning at a farmer's market. Mm. The CSA is normally offered on a Saturday morning. A farmer's market normally happens on a Saturday morning. The type of people who can take off and only and be somewhere on a Saturday morning to get their entire week's worth of vegetables all in one fail swoop or not necessarily vegetables. I'm just focusing on vegetables because I'm mostly a vegetable farmer, but the type of people who can get all of their weekly groceries at one time at that one very small window, that is limiting. Not everyone has the resources and access to capital that allow them to be able to do that. So the idea of consumerism driving grocery stores to do better and to actually get from local producers is helping food access because now it's not just available on a Saturday morning, like for the bourgeois, you know, it's like it is available to all people when you're making it available more than one day a week. And then, then you can offer those other benefits like accepting food stamps, which Hmm allow more people to access more local food. And it is a wonderful thing. And so I, I'm saying all of this to say that I think nowadays mm-hmm. people have started for a long time now, they've been demanding access to local nutritious food and that the systems are changing and people are starting mm-hmm. to have that available for people in the ways that we had all hoped for originally, like in a grocery store. Because at the end of the day, a farmer does not want to have to be a marketer and a salesperson. They want to just be able to farm. And I hear you've said the word nutritious many times. And I think that that is something um, that people are becoming more aware of, that our soil got very depleted. And therefore, like it's the food that we are buying, we don't even know if it's lacking nutrients or not, right? It's like a cucumber looks like a a cucumber, except for for somebody that is farming the soil, they understand that nutrient um, richness. I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for asking about that. That's such a great question. So, you know, when the government coined the organic term and made it so that was a certification that you had to get, I can't really call myself an organic farmer, but I wouldn't touch a chemical if my life depended on it and would never put anything on the soil that I wouldn't just eat directly myself. But even just being organic does not mean that your food is nutritious. It just means that it doesn't have chemicals on it. And we're talking toxic chemicals. I think there gets this confusion too. Like not chemicals are bad, right? But toxic. Okay. Right. Definitely. You're so right. Absolutely. So yes, toxic chemicals. (laughs) I would never put toxic chemicals on my ground. But even organic farmers who do not use toxic chemicals don't necessarily have nutritious food. So nutrition comes from the soil and soil care is beyond being organic and not using toxic chemicals. Soil care is composting. It is taking organic matter and breaking it down and adding it back to the soil. It's liming. It's using the wood ashes from your stove and sprinkling them over the field. There are so many parts and so many factors that go into making soil a nutritious place to grow food. And if you grow vegetables out of soil that is depleted, 
you're not going to get those nutrients in your vegetables. So as a farmer, we have to be sure that our soil is full of nutrients so that when we grow food in that soil, the Mm. food can take up the nutrients and then give it to the human that eats it. Right. Which is so important. And I think that when we go for that kind of food consistently, right, our body is deriving what it needs. And I think probably we don't need as much which is also very sustainable, right? I think as we've gotten very depleted, people keep eating and they're just not getting what they need. So they just keep, you know, it's just trying to get that nutrient base and it's just not there. Right. So I think that's another really important for local, for community supported agriculture, or just, you know, finding farms that have practices um, that really care about the richness of their soil. Definitely. Yeah. And luckily in middle Tennessee, we are so lucky in middle Tennessee to have so many farms and farmers Mm -hmm. that really do care about their soil and their community and what they're doing to the planet. And it is such a lucky, lucky place that we're living in to have all of these stewards trying to make the world a better place and feed us in the process. It's really, we're really fortunate in middle Tennessee. I so agree with you. And I think that that is a good place to end off because this has been so rich in information. And um, I just really appreciate you taking the time today to bring, you know, your expertise and experience to, you know, to this podcast and uh, to the listeners. So just thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. This was so fun. I would talk about this all day. So. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you know, before we end off, where would then people find like you and your farm, for example, if they wanted to connect? Yeah, thank yeah. you so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you can definitely follow us on your favorite social media at Villa Acres. That's our favorite thing to do. And to find our produce, um, in Cookville, we have the Walnut Street Market, which is a great grocery store. And in Lebanon, there's Demeter's Common, which is our very favorite groovy grocery store. And then in Nashville, there are several places um, as far as restaurants go that serve our produce and all of our friends' produce. And then there's this cool, the one I really want to highlight, though, is this really neat app that you can download on your phone that acts like a virtual farmer's market. So they have multiple delivery days throughout the week. It's called Hot Poppy Go. And... Yeah, you download the Hot Poppy app, you pick out what you want from your virtual farmer's market, and then they bring it to your door. And that's so great. That's been such a wonderful place um, for me and a lot of other farmers I know. And the fact that they've made that all happen, it's really awesome. So I would check that out. Fantastic. Well, thank you again. And um, love to have you back to continue to talk about food. Anytime. Okay. Or come visit me and I'll just feed you. Oh, (laughs) done. Okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Ashley. See ya. Thanks for listening. Sharing the show or an episode that really resonated with you, with friends or on social media, is always appreciated. For podcast updates, please subscribe at ecogal.tv forward slash subscribe. Graphic element and logos, courtesy of Linda Cornelius. Audio editing by Danielle Mikesell. Our theme music was created by Taylor Pye. You can find us on Instagram at TV. We appreciate your support and we value your time and energy. So we hope you found this useful and of value. Thank you for listening. See you back here soon. And until then, stay curious. <laughs>